when somebody you love dies, your brain just goes into shock. I think your brain and your heart do. And I'm not a grief expert in any way, shape, or form. I think I say that a lot in any way, shape, or form. But my real point is, like, I just have experienced grief and I have participated in some grief groups. And so I'm learning. And because I'm learning, I want to share with you. And so for me, I feel like your brain is trying to process your heart is literally breaking and it's as if the world stops and yet it absolutely doesn't and I think the best way to explain it is that someone dies and the hot mess express pulls up and offers you a ride. So of course you get on. What else are you going to do? You're in a state of shock and confusion and hurt and your brain is reeling and you don't know what to do or where to go. And that's the crazy part of grief is there's no rules. There's no checklist. Everybody is going to feel it. Everybody's going to go, going to go through it. And somehow you start on this all-inclusive hot mess express. And the weird part is, is that there's tons of people on it. But often you feel like you are the only one and that it might even be off the tracks and derailing. And so please know I am not a grief expert. I'm only sharing my experiences with you, which are honestly pretty limited. Um, and sometimes I feel guilty because like my mom and dad died in their late 80s. My father-in-law was 70, which in my world is way too young. And somehow I feel like there's lots of other tragedies that happen. And yet our grief is our grief and it doesn't, somebody else's more tragic situation doesn't take away from my grief. I'm still going to feel pain and hurt and sadness from my grief. The, it's weird because the world simply doesn't stop. And it's so unfair. Like, you know, my mom was the nicest person in the world. She just was the best human I know. And somehow it seems crazy to me that the world doesn't stop. 
that there isn't a headline about her. And I remember thinking this about others too. I, where I work, there was a husband and wife whose daughter was killed in a car accident and her baby girl lived and she died and she was so young and such a beautiful person. And her parents were absolutely amazing humans as well. And so I don't remember if it was a couple weeks or a few weeks when they returned to work, but I remember seeing the two of them in our warehouse. And I just thought to myself, it just feels like the world should stop for a minute and show them respect and give them a minute to catch their breath. And yet they're back at work already. How crazy is that, right? But it's true. The whole world does keep moving on. And beautiful, kind humans stop for a minute and pay you respect with sympathy and condolences and a million kind things. And then people move on. And I've done that to people before, you know, you show your condolences and a few weeks later, you forget that their loved one died. And and not because it's purposeful, but it's obviously not our loss. So it's just easy to think, well, my goodness, that happened six weeks ago. And yet grief doesn't keep time like that. Grief doesn't say in six weeks, you'll be over it, or in a year, you'll be over it. In fact, that made me so sick when I heard somebody once say, yeah, the first year, you know, I just was going through everything and there was a lot going on. But the second year, the grief was worse. Oh my God. I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no, don't say that. Please be happy after 48 days. And I just pulled 48 days out of nowhere. But it's the truth. Like grief has no rules. It has no checklist. It has no time limit. In fact, one of the best things that I saw was from uh, author Tom Zuba, Z-U-B-A, And it was from a book called Permission to Mourn, A New Way to Do Grief. It's written really exceptionally. And I love how it matched a lot of the things that I have learned from David and Nancy Guthrie. They are the people that created Grief Share. And you can look up Grief Share on Facebook or go to griefshare.org. Um, it's a, that's a really good program and it's, um, Christian based. And even if you're not a Christian, the tools that they give you is really good. And it's not the stages of grief. In fact, I don't, I couldn't even tell you what the stages of grief are because people grieve differently and people are at different, um, places at different times, even when 
they have lost the same person as you. So I have four brothers and a sister. So when my mom and dad died, you know, we were just at different places and you just respect where somebody's at in their grief. And I think that's a really good piece of advice is showing others respect, but also giving yourself a little respect that this is where you're at. And if you're still on the hot mess express, own it. And I think that's sort of the first thing is, you know, you have to come to a little bit of acceptance and I'm giggling because my family um, has some recovering alcoholic addicts in it. And um, so we know the 12 steps of AA and um, admitting is the first step. And in a crazy way, that's what acceptance in grief is all about. I mean, you legit have to admit this person has died. I like to say this person has gone to heaven or this person lives with Jesus. That comforts my heart. But you know what I hate? I I hate passes away. I don't know why. And if you say it, please don't be offended. We, you use the terms that you do. But I think to tell you the truth, I hate it because I remember my mom saying that she thought it was weird. She's like, passes away. What does that mean? Or they passed? What does that mean? And I'm thinking, if you really passed, then how come you're how come you're dead? Because you should be. Because if you passed on it, you should be still living. But you know, I don't know. Passes on, passes away, passed. I just I got laughing because I was sharing this with my sister. Which, by the way, Susie says hi to everyone, and. I'm super laughing though, because let's be honest, Susie, you're the only one listening. Not true. I know there's a couple others, Carmen, Judy, Teresa. I know you're listening too. So that's my shout out. Um, I am the hippie Christian who cares. So if you really want a shout out, send me an email. It is hippiechristianwhocares at gmail.com. Look at me getting my actual email correct. Anyways, um, but Tom Zuba says, hold on. And for him, there was a moment in time where that's just what he did. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And I think that makes excellent sense. And in Grief Share, it was... Do the next thing. Your brain is reeling. You don't have a lot of physical, mental, emotional, and probably even spiritual energy. But just do the next thing. And that's the first really start to getting off the Hot Mess Express. When someone dies, you actually lose like 20 or 30 secondary losses associated with that person. So, for example, my mom just died and I now lose 
going to Rock Haven, the nursing home, I lose all the relationships that I had with the nurses and CNAs. And don't get me wrong, like some of them I still have contact with, but for the most part, I don't have a reason to go there every day. I don't see that per- those people every day. And that's And even if I visit now, that visit is different. There's a loss associated with the reason I go there and what is happening. And so just you realize throughout the next days and weeks and months that, oh, that's a loss. That is something I don't do with that person or that person doesn't do something for me. In, um, in that book, Permission to Mourn, Tom Zuba says death smashes us into a million pieces. And boy, is that ever true because it certainly feels like we are so broken and We have to mourn in order to heal. A beautiful human who lost her six-year-old son from a heart disease or a heart defect, I think is really the correct diagnosis, shared condolences with me and said every lament is a love song. And I thought that was so beautiful. You have to embrace the suck. And that term, I think, is truly associated with like running and working out and um, training for marathons and races and stuff like that. You know, it's hard, right? And there's just part of the marathon or the race, workout, whatever, that just sucks. And you have to embrace it. Um, but, But you're not alone. And while your grief is unique to you and the person you are grieving, it's still similar and understandable to anybody that experiences grief. And if you have that, if you have grief and it is overwhelming, the flip side of that is you probably had an amazing relationship and loved somebody so much. So it's very authentic, as crazy as that sound sounds. And also it's Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It matches the loss. So you love somebody so hard, you're going to grieve them so hard. But you have to accept your heavy heart. You have to accept your sad situation, your loss here on earth and start working through it. And lots of, I hear lots of different 
ways in terms of how to face hard things and, and how to face grief. And I think grief share said like lean in, like, you know, just work through it and don't deny it. Don't cover it up. Don't push it down. And let's be honest, the more you push something down, um, you know, it's like stuffing clothes in a suitcase. Have you ever done that? <laughs> You're just really trying to shove it all in there and, you know, squeeze that zipper around. Well, at some point the zipper's going to break or when you open it, all this stuff's going to fly out. And you can only hope that happens to the people at TSA um, when they're going through your stuff. Because nobody needs to see like my giant pair of underwear at the airport. But, you know, that's why I pack light. <laughs> I digress. Anyways, that's just funny though. Packing it all down and then it explodes, right? That's the truth about grief. It's going to haunt you and it might not right away. And you might stay super busy and you might do all these things and you might um, shop or eat or drink or work out or do a thousand things to keep your mind off of it. But if you are not truly facing it, if you're not leaning in, if you're not kissing the wave, I like that one though, because doesn't that sound like you're a cool surfer and then this beautiful wave comes over yeah, and you kiss it. Honestly, though, if you've ever been in the ocean, waves are really scary. Trust me, my brother, my brother Fritz almost lost his um, son BJ as a baby, holding him, you know, like a tourist in, <laughs> in the ocean. And all of a sudden this wave comes over him and the baby slips and Luckily, Fritz grabbed him up by the um, ankle and, you know, held him up like a prize as his wife was like, get him out of the ocean. Anyways, that is pretty much grief in a nutshell, though. You are just overcome by this wave. And if you're not ready for it, if you're not accepting it, oh yeah, everything's going to just slip out of your hands. I love that I took that example and made it into a little grief story, but that's sort of the start. You jump off the hot mess express and you go right into embracing the suck. And then you get a chance to start healing. All of this awfulness has to get out. And part of what feels good is in telling your story. And it's hard because it's so vulnerable and it's so personal. I mean, it's almost intimate. And yet... There's this healing power in sharing the story about the person you loved and their death experience or how you heard about it, where you were, how you felt, 
what you did, why you did it, um, things that happened around it. Maybe they were funny. Maybe they were interesting. Maybe there's this, these God moments that you want to share with everybody and, and tell so that it sounds more beautiful than heartbreaking. And for me, I know it's true because I've been doing that. I've been sharing all kinds of um, stories that happened in the three weeks that my mom was on daily hospice. And, you know, every moment there was this expectation that it might be in the next 24 to 48 hours or, you know, the next few days. And then it got to be almost humorous because somewhere in that two week mark, they would be like, well, yep, here's another sign that typically shows, you know, the process and the person usually lasts for maybe 48 hours longer. And then they would look at us and look at my mom and be like, well, it's Peggy. And she clearly is taking her own time and writing her own story. And so in it and through it, I get to tell my story about how I felt during those three weeks and what happened when she took her last breath and what I experienced and where I'm at now and, and how I'm moving forward or through my grief and There's a healing process that comes with that. And it's best to just be honest. And there are days where you can tell the story without crying. There's other days where you can't tell your story. You don't want to tell your story and feel hurt and sad and all the feelings that come with it. And sometimes it's okay to just say, it's not a good day, you know? And other times you need to guard your heart knowing that it's a heavy heart and a hurting heart. But because the world does go on and because at some point it's three months later or a year later and people just don't always get it that today's just a bad day because my mom died and I'm still sad or my dad died or my father-in-law died 13 years ago and sometimes I just really wish Harv was still here or my dad and the beauty of grief, and yeah, I did actually say that, is that at some point you go from thinking about that person and feeling so sad to thinking about that human and feeling joy and gratefulness and love that you had this beautiful relationship with them. And so... It almost, I think, even honors the person 
when you share your story, when you talk about, you know, all the good stuff surrounding the story of their death and your relationship with them. And I think that is a very cool thing. And people don't have to like your story. They don't have to, you know, connect with it. But you'd be surprised at how many people will then share their story. Because if you have someone who has died in your life, you have a story to tell and you want to tell that story. And when somebody is telling you their story, it gives you permission to tell your story. And that is part of the healing process. As you move forward and you share your story and you keep breathing and you keep doing the next thing and you keep making choices to allow yourself to mourn, but also allow yourself to experience joy and allow yourself to live and allow yourself to start living a life on earth that doesn't include the person, but doesn't ever forget that person. And so, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not a face-to-face relationship, but a face-to-heaven relationship. And I say that because I am a person of faith. I am the hippie Christian who cares. And so um, I'm all about loving God and loving people. And I can't imagine doing grief without God, doing grief without faith. And if you don't know God, if you don't love God, grief, quite honestly, is a hard time to probably accept that free gift of love. And yet God waits and God is there and God wants you to acknowledge him, but he doesn't make you acknowledge him. And so it's okay to reach out in a grief situation to God. And most of us do because nothing on earth is going to fix that. And yet that heavenly situation does. And maybe you're concerned in terms of like, did my loved one go to heaven? Um, Will I see that person again? And yep, there's probably Christians that are going to tell you absolutely what they think. I don't think we get that choice. I think that's between God and the person. And we don't know what's in that person's heart, in their mind, in their soul. We don't know where God is at. And I think for me, God's grace and mercy is huge. And I think I understand that it's huge, but I can't possibly understand how big, how huge, how vast. And so for me, I have to go through this grief with God. And 
having God there makes me feel so much better. And in between sort of telling our story and feeling God's presence is that peace and pain situation. It is where peace and pain coexist. It is where sadness and joy can live together. And I, I share the story about when I first went to a grief share session and introduced myself and said, you know, I choose joy. Like, I don't think I'm doing this grief thing right. And I choose joy. And then I'm just sobbing. And so I did have the joy of Jesus in my heart. I did know that my Redeemer lives. And because of that, my dad is in heaven and my mom is in heaven and my father-in-law's in heaven and all my aunts and uncles and cousins and others that have died. I get that. And so I think it was hard for me because I didn't want any, I don't want any of you to think God isn't real or God isn't good or look at Chrissy. She's sad. So she must not have faith or, you know, right? Like I felt like I was even failing my faith, but God is our creator and he created us for a life on earth, knowing that we would be sinful and that separates us from him. And so he comes up with this plan to save us from our sin and that's Jesus. And so he's also our savior. And so again, those are the thoughts that I have to think heavenly. And don't get me wrong, let's all go back to the scene in Steel Magnolias where Sally Field, you know, they've just buried Shelby and everyone's like, you know, how are you doing? And she's like, fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then she completely breaks down. Oh my gosh, I don't know how anybody ever gets through that whole scene of the movie without just sobbing. And she gets it that like, I know she's in heaven. I know she's in a better place. I know she's not hurting anymore. I know that she doesn't have dementia anymore. That wasn't in the movie because it was a kidney issue, not a dementia issue. But for my mom, I know she's whole again, but I want her here. I want to be able to kiss her face. I want to be able to hold her hand and hear her laugh and see her roll her eyes or stick her tongue out at me. We can be sad and still love God. Things that help me in my faith are things like gratitude, thanking God for so much in that relationship, you know, while that person was here on earth and through their death and through this recovery and 
there's so many good things to be thankful for in so many ways that I am blessed. The relationship that we have with God is completely unique. It's yours. And so how you talk to God, how you handle your grief totally belongs to you. Sorry, I'm pausing for a little tea break. But it's important to talk to God. It's important to let him know you're hurting. It's important to let him know you're sad, you're mad, you're hurt, you're frustrated, you're confused, you're overwhelmed. And then listen to what God says to you. Listen for all the things that God is pointing to, to show you the love of that person, to show you the benefits of the relationship that you had with that person, and to show you his love, and to show you his kindness. And it's all over the place. And when you look for it, you see it, and those are the things that help you heal too. Looking for God is looking for good. And when you, when you are purposely and intentionally looking on the good side of things and working hard to find something to be grateful for. And on the days where you're hurting so bad, that's the days that you really want to sit down and write down one thing that you can be thankful for. And if you can write down 10 things, probably by the 10th thing, your heart does feel lighter. And so gratitude is huge. Prayer is huge. Prayer is, I remember when my dad died, I remember just days of heavy, heavy heart. And I remember one day praying God, I don't, my faith isn't wavering because my heart is hurting. I'm just uncomfortable. I don't like being sad. And I have reason to be sad, but I don't want to be sad anymore. And I know I need to go through this, but somehow I'm asking you to help comfort my heart, help give me peace. And that's where it is that peace that passes human understanding that he gives us. I'll always go back to God's word because the Bible is cool and it's a beautiful tool that God gives us. But on the other hand too, like I've said before, God's word is living and breathing, and that is the part of God. You know, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the, that is the part of God that is present with us now. And so that's what makes it living and breathing. And so when you're reading it, there will be ways that resonate specifically and personally to you. And that is God speaking right to you. And so that's also important. And then just extending that out. Sometimes 
when you are when we are so wrapped up into our own grief in our own sadness in our own self the only i shouldn't say the only way but another way to get out of that is help someone else and it's not in replacement of feeling your grief because then it becomes uh, a method of not coping. But when you recognize, yep, I'm sad, but here's what I can do today to make the world a better place. And anytime we extend kindness um, and compassion, and when we volunteer, and when we help people, and when we do something good for somebody else, we reap the benefits and the side effect of feeling good, feeling better. Yep, it takes your mind off of your sadness, but it also sort of helps replace it with a feeling of, I have something to live for. I have something to give back. I can honor my loved one in a lot of ways and clearly moving forward with the love of that person is the best way to honor them. All right, that's some heavy stuff and a lot of information. Let's take a little break and hear my ad for Anchor. And I'm sorry, it's the same ad as the last several episodes. I can't quite figure out how to change it. So um, the cool part is Anchor is really easy to use. So just listen to my ad for a minute. So thanks for listening to that. Grief sucks. It's all there is to it. It does no matter what. And if you stay on the side of grief sucks, it's probably going to take you longer to get through it. And don't get me wrong. I don't want to um, demean it or lessen how you feel. We feel what we feel. And if it takes you longer to get through grief than a friend or a family member, that is your reality. That is your unique ride on this thing called the hotness express of grief. And so honestly, it's your journey and it's yours to get through and learn how to live with because it isn't going to go away. And that part is the part that stinks. Like somehow you just got another bag added to your trip. And on top of that, you had to pay an enormous fee for it. So it's awful. But there is that grace that comes with it. And for me, it is the grace of God. And maybe for you right now, it is just offering yourself that grace. The grace that comes from God is 
so beautiful and so healing and so peaceful and often is where my joy comes from. And so that's where I like to live. Because as it turns out, I loved Tom Zuba, um, his reference to grief in saying, grief is not the enemy. Grief is the teacher, a gift from God. And that's not the exact quote. So, you know, the book is called Permission to Mourn. I'm not getting a royalty off of saying it. I'm sharing it because it is things like that, that I'm like, it isn't the enemy. It feels like the enemy. And I knew with experiencing grief from my father-in-law and from my dad, I was not looking forward to grief taking up a lot of room in my head and in my heart. But I knew that it was going to overwhelm me again. And when grief is fresh, it's a bully. But when you start to accept and own and write your story and tell your story, the bully isn't there anymore. And grief doesn't feel like an enemy. It does start to feel like a teacher and you start learning from it and you also start sharing it out. And so your grief, you become the teacher in teaching other people and teaching yourself. And you also become the student in terms of learning from this thing called grief. And so you have to accept God's grace. And you have to give yourself grief or grief. You have to give yourself grace. Um, I certainly give myself plenty of grief in terms of having a grief brain and forgetting stuff and um, losing a lot of productivity and uh, just wanting to eat all the candy in the world. So instead I'm drinking all the tea in the world and trying to make better choices. I don't know if you've ever heard of DEER, D-E-E-R. Drink as in hydrate, not like drink to get drunk, um, but drink, eat, exercise, and rest. So you want to treat yourself good and take care of yourself. And when we mess up and we do eat a whole bag of caramel M&Ms, because have you ever had them? They're like super delicious. Or if you just get to the point where you have some regular M&Ms and then you break up some graham cracker and then you bite a marshmallow and you sort of stick it all together because you don't really have a way to make an actual s'more and it's really no fun to eat a s'more in grief like it is when you're sitting around a campfire with friends. So you're just doing this makeshift s'more. <laughs> I'm not saying I've done that. I'm just saying if that happens to be you, you know what I mean? 
By the way, marshmallows are probably on my top five favorite things to eat in the world. I know it's weird, but I love them. Anyways, my point being is that sometimes we mess up and whether it's the second week of your grief or the second month or the second year and you do make a bad choice or a choice that isn't as exactly healthy or maybe you're just really crabby at somebody and it's the grief that's taking over. Um, we're going to get a lot more chances. We get another chance every moment to accept the grace of God and the forgiveness of God when it's our sinfulness that is struggling. Um, but also the grace of God that allows us to take a big sigh, that allows us to slow down, that allows us to actually grieve, to actually say, this is awful. I don't wish it on anybody. And I'm going to feel the pain associated with that person not being here anymore and acknowledge it. And I'm going to breathe and choose joy and sadness at the same time because peace and pain coexist. And I'm going to keep choosing the next thing. And I'm going to always try to choose the right thing, but I'm just going to keep moving forward because pretty soon that enemy, that bully, that is grief, turns into a teacher. And then it turns into like a, a wise guy. That, that's perfect, though, because, you know, it, you sort of have the wise men that we think of in the story of Jesus, but you also have like the three stooges. Oh, wise guy. Yeah, that pretty much explains grief in terms of either side of how you look at it. But the wisdom that comes from experiencing and moving forward through grief truly does pay off. So stick with me. I've got um, another two episodes on grief because there's so much to talk about. And I think this next one might even be fun. I know. How weird is that? So wherever you are in terms of your grief, um, maybe you're just boarding the Hot Mess Express, maybe you're still on till the next station, stick with it. Look around. It might feel like you're all alone. You're not. There are so many of us that are grieving, and whether our grief is fresh or seasoned, we get it and we need each other. And I know I need all of the people in my life that let me tell my story and help make me better and lean into it and keep moving forward and help me connect with God. And I just want to be one of those people for you as well. So have a great day, and next station is episode three.
come back. You don't have to get on the Hot Mix Express to do it, though. Just come back and listen. <laughs>